respond to whatever he asks us to do. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, two things. One, uh, when we did the little uh, exercise where I had you close your eyes and um, potentially stretch, do something different, it's fun. I did, I did, I mean, unless you had your eyes open, you didn't see. I did something I've never done in a worship, in a service before in terms of expression with my body. And, I fe- and, and, and it was weird because I felt stupid and I thought, but nobody's watching me. Why do I feel so stupid? I mean, maybe that was you too. I'm just saying, good thing to ask is where's that coming from? I mean, I, you kind of think everybody must be looking at me, but I said had your eyes closed, but you still feel weird. Um, but yet the Bible has all kinds of ways in which people express themselves, whether it was raising their hands, clapping, kneeling, whatever else. So it's just, just, a, just, a, just an interesting thought, because sometimes even when you're by yourself in your house and nobody else is even around, to do something, whether you raise your hands, whether you pray to God, it still feels weird, and you have to ask yourself, what, who am I embarrassed by? Anyway, just a thought. Second thing is this. Um, I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I somehow forgot one of my pages of notes. I'm not going to tell you which part it is. You can tell me later which one I, you thought I was ad-libbing. So, all right, I just realized I was looking at my notes, and I thought, where's the other page? But that's okay. Sometimes I think those things happen because God wants to be way, way less resistant on things like that. So, Hey, I want to talk today about soundtracks. Soundtracks, TV shows, movies, or whatever else. And uh, I have a couple sa- actual soundtracks for you. They're going to listen to. Some of you may bring back some memories. Some of you who are young enough, you won't remember, but hopefully we'll have some retro kind of uh, time here. First one is this, Hogan's Heroes. Uh, it was a story about uh, it was a TV sitcom in the late 60s and 70s about um, prisoners of the war. Do you have the music for that? Is it coming on? Everybody with gray hair, yeah. Okay, now turn the sound on. Leave this slide on. Turn the sound down. Now, think about this for a second. This is a show about World War II prisoners of war. Does that music match what the reality was? It's interesting because, I mean, I watched a show when I was a kid. We laughed at it. And then it's like, wait a minute, does that, if you just close your eyes and listen to the music, it sounds like it's a party or parade. I mean, it was a sitcom, a sitcom about prisoners of war in World War II. And it's funny how the soundtrack didn't match the reality. Or maybe it was the way we handled the reality of the pain of it. We make it funny or something like that, all right? Um, Just the soundtrack didn't match the reality. All right, next one. Band of Brothers. Right, this is the soundtrack to Band of Brothers. I think it maybe the sound matches the reality a little bit more. So just close your eyes and listen for a second.
we're still in the World War II, now we're going to Bridge Over Kwai. 1957 movie. This was the, kind of one of the main songs from this movie about Japanese prisoners of war. All right. Kind of sounds like the Seven Dwarves, doesn't it? All right. We've got to whistle along, but we won't. So. All right, turn the sound down. Okay, now, ask you again. Does that sound right? I mean, from what you know of World War II, prisoners of war in Japan are held by the Japanese. Does that match reality? All right, my, I, I played this for my son last night. I, I, I let him know what it was. What does that sound like? It sounds like a bunch of kids walking in camp in their cabin. Theater now. Next one is the theme from the Pacific, another uh, just recently out. Again, think a little more. The soundtrack matches the reality a little bit more. Appropriately, kind of somber, strong, noble, adventurous, risky. All right. That was, you know, in the 1950s or 60s, why, you know, we had these movies about war with soundtracks that sounded like camp songs. But it's interesting how the soundtrack of a movie or a TV show somehow interprets the reality differently. You know what I'm saying? When you think of those kind of soundtracks, if you were to just close your eyes, you'd have totally different understandings or feelings about what must have happened at the war. I mean, like, you know, Hogan's Heroes makes it makes it seem like. Oh, I would love to have been a prisoner of war with those guys. I mean, really, when you think about it, it and it's just, it's like, it's, it, the soundtrack is skewed. And some of you who maybe are film studies people can maybe explain, or cultural studies people can maybe explain the dynamics of why Hogan's Heroes was a popular show, given the fact that we knew what, was hap- what happened during the war. But here's the question I want to ask then. What's the soundtrack for the life of Jesus? When you read the Bible, your experience of the, reading the Gospels, your experience of Christianity, your experience of church, what's the soundtrack sound like? Because sometimes we read the Bible, read the Gospels, and, and we have what I guess I'd call like a Hallmark soundtrack. Kind of nice, pretty, flowery, harpy music um, that Jesus is kind of this really nice guy and this really good teacher, and he was really good to people, and he healed people. And that's kind of the soundtrack as we read. Anything else that kind of deviates from the soundtrack? Like hard things, hard words that he said, you know, words about dying or suffering or things like that. We kind of gloss over it because the music just carries us to the next thing. Do you know what I'm saying? And sometimes the soundtrack is maybe a kind of this heavy, depressing soundtrack or the soundtrack has a lot of guilt feel in it and all we just read it and we're like, we don't really... I don't know. I don't know if I could be that kind of person. But it's interesting because every one of us has some kind of soundtrack, maybe not a literal music. We have a soundtrack of how we interpret the Bible, how we read the stories of Jesus, how we understand his life. I mean, it's interesting when you know, say when you read the gospels, or even like in the book of Acts and some of the things we read in the Bible, how we tend to it's easy to kind of jump over in our minds some of the things that made it kind of hard. And we and 
I'm not saying we read the Bible with a Hogan's Heroes or a you know, whistle-while-you-work kind of mentality, but I wonder sometimes if we need to kind of edit, audit the soundtrack through which we understand the teachings and the life of Jesus. One, one of the things, uh, oh boy, it was a long time ago. I think in, the, in, in December is when I was, had been going through the Gospel of John. We took about a three-month hiatus from the Gospel of John. But I want to jump back into it now. And you guys you might think, John, when did a matter ever teach from John? So maybe the teaching was not that memorable. But I want to jump back into it. But I want to jump back into it. And, and we're going to pick up where we left off. But kind of look at what, what was really going on with Jesus here. Because, you know, we know from Easter a couple weeks ago, we know how Jesus' life ended. But sometimes it's kind of like a movie. You see a movie that ended and you, and you realize you missed some things. You kind of need to go back and try to figure out how did he get from nice Jesus, you know, holding lambs, petting kids, you know, patting, and all of a sudden they kill him? What, did I miss something? You know what I mean? It's like, uh, what's the movie? Vantage Point. Other movies like that, where the movie's over and you're like, oh, how, kind of this twist at the end. And it's like, how did, he, how did it get to that place? And then you rewatch the movie and you start seeing, oh, that's what that was. And the soundtrack kind of changes for you because you're like, you start seeing things you didn't see before. You didn't notice before, and you realize, and we're going to look at John chapter 7. In this case, you realize that the soundtrack of the life of Jesus was a soundtrack of, of one who was found himself behind enemy lines. This was not a hallmark kind of Jesus. When you think about the life of Jesus, his life started with genocide. Herod was trying to kill the babies. So from day one, Jesus was a hunted man. All right, from day one, Jesus was a hunted man, and as the Gospel of John, as is the other Gospels, but we're looking at John, begins to unfold, you realize Jesus understood his life as one lived who was involved in trying to be in enemy territory, setting people free. When you hear the Gospel and read the Gospel that way, it changes how you look at things. That Jesus was one who understood that he was a drop behind enemy lines and was trying to bring freedom for those held captive. All right. The soundtrack or the, the storyline is not about a nice guy, a good moral teacher, somebody who loved the unlovable. Yes, that was Jesus, but that's not the soundtrack. That's not the storyline. And we're going to look at a passage today, John chapter 7, and I want us to kind of play the soundtrack a little bit differently. I want you to be at least stop your old soundtrack and let's kind of look and see what's going on here with the life of Jesus and then maybe ask some questions about ourselves later on, all right? This is John chapter 7. Jesus is a couple years into the ministry. It's kind of, if I can say it this way without being, you know, disrespectful, he's kind of rounding third and heading to home toward the cross. So things are kind of nearing an end. He's, this is about when he's going to go down to Jerusalem for the last time and it leads to his crucifixion eventually, all right? He spent most of his life, a lot of his life up in the Galilee region, which is the northern part of Israel, and, all right? And it's uh, time for him to kind of start the end here. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. Again, that's the northern part of Israel. He wanted to stay out of Judea, southern part of Israel, where Jerusalem is, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death, all right? Soundtrack should change right now. Somebody is plotting his death. How many times when you read chapter 7 or things like this, you kind of skim over that, plotting his death, yeah, 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 and it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Somebody's trying to kill him. 
That should change how we read already. Somebody's trying to kill. Not just somebody, some bodies, the important people. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. It was the festival that celebrated their time in the wilderness where they had to live in tents and live in portable kind of homes for the shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, Jesus had biological brothers. Mary and Joseph had biological children. Um, obviously, growing up with somebody who was perfect would be a little difficult. All right. Leave here, his brother said. Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And from the next line, we realize that the previous things were said kind of in a, jet, in a mock. Proven his brothers didn't believe in him. Yeah. So not only is this people are trying to kill him, but he's pretty lonely in a sense right now. Because even his brothers don't believe him. So the, the soundtrack's a whole lot different now. Okay. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me. Wow. That's different. Because I accuse it of doing evil. And if you're, if you're standing with the brothers, you're like, whoa, what is, what is up with him? You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee, up on the north. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus went secretly. Day or so journey, a couple days, by himself, staying out of public view. And in a sense, the plot's beginning to thicken here. Something else is going on here. Now, what I want to do, the next handful of slides, are just quotes and conversational sound bits from the whole of chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 7. But we'll follow the story, and I want you to, the quotes and the sound bites I've chosen, I want you to kind of see kind of the different soundtrack, the different story going on here, all right? This is not tender Jesus, meek and mild. This is not simply Jesus who loved to heal people. This is Jesus who's, who's challenging the status quo and causes great controversy and puts himself in incredible danger, all right? Go. Next one here. We already saw this one. His brothers say, show yourself. Go to Jerusalem, show yourself. He says, um, not yet. My time's not come. Now, as a side note, how many of us have been times where we've kind of wished Jesus would, God would just kind of show himself? God, just show yourself in this conflict I'm in, in this financial stress I'm in. Jesus, are you anywhere? You just show up. And we get frustrated when Jesus says to us, well, not yet. So we can understand his brothers saying, Jesus, because his brothers are living one story, one soundtrack. Jesus has a whole different story, a whole different soundtrack. They're wanting him, they're wanting him to fit into their story. Show yourself. Kick the Romans out of here. That's, that's what we think the story is. It's all about power, isn't it? Or it's all about my life or my comfort. And so we, they say, and we say to Jesus, show yourself. And he frustratingly replies, not yet. Time's not come. All right, next one. Then he, then he has this thing, the world hates me because I accuse it of doing evil. Okay, if you're one of his brothers or part of the crowd, you're starting to wonder about this guy. Is he paranoid? What's up with this? All right, next. Okay, then he, when he comes to Jerusalem and he starts showing up and people see him at the temple and he's already creating a stir, people already know about him, and some of the people say, he's a good man. Other people, this is in verse 12, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. 
they can't figure Jesus out. They can't figure, because he's not fitting into their storylines. He's, he's living by a soundtrack they've never heard before. So some are like, well, I think he's a good man. Others, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. All right, next. At one point he's teaching, and the people say, how does he know so much when he hasn't been trained? Again, he, Jesus is provoking people left and right just by his actions. And he says, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. All right, so not only is Jesus apparently paranoid, everybody hates him, and he's, uh, he kind of divides people because some think he's good and some don't. Now he's kind of claiming message from another world. And we have, psych- we have psychological hospitals for people like this, at least in our story, unless there's a whole different story he's living out. All right, next. We go on to John chapter 19. The Jesus, Jesus is still kind of continuing this conversation with this crowd of people. And he says, Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. And the people are like, you're crazy. You're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Again, I mean, if, if, somebody, if Jesus stands up there and you're part of the crowd, and he says, you're trying to kill me. I mean, the world hates me. I've got a message from another world. And frankly, those of you who think you're really religious, you're not. As a matter of fact, you're trying to kill me. All right? So either Jesus is some kind of nut, or he's literally marching to the whole different drumbeat. All right? Go on. This is a few verses later. Jesus is still teaching, and the people start responding this way. Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? He totally is confusing them. Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Could our leaders possibly believe he's the Messiah? Because they're thinking, wait a minute, we know our leaders want to kill this guy, but he's kind of roaming around freely in Jerusalem during these festival days, so maybe he's the Messiah. And then other people say, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? Well, he has to be. And you kind of see these people, yes, he is, no, he's not. Yes, he is, no, he's not. Well, he can't be, he can be. Yes, he is, no, he's a fraud, he's good. All right, go. All right, then Jesus kind of steps up into a conversation. He says, I will be, this is to the whole group, I will be with you only a little longer, then I'll return to the one who sent me. And the Pharisees start asking questions. There's a lot of questions in this passage. A lot of questions people have. Pharisees, where's he planning to go? Is he thinking of leaving the country? What does he mean? Jesus is always doing things that provokes people like the people and the Pharisees and people just like us to ask questions because we're confused. What does he mean? What's he, playing, what, what's he talking about? And again, because we have, for the most part, we're trying to make his story and his soundtrack fit into our story instead of the other way around because it doesn't make sense in, in the way we understand the world. I mean, this is the way God's supposed to work. God does A, B, and C, and then if I do, if I do this and this, and God should do this, and God should always do that, and this and this, and this is how it works, because I can control and I can understand and predict how it works. But if Jesus starts doing things that are out of the box that I've kind of designed for God, I have all kinds of questions, and I begin to even question Jesus. All right? Then toward the end of the festival, Jesus steps up, 
And he says in a loud voice, again, this is someone who was avoiding Jerusalem because they were plotting to kill him. He knows they're wanting to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem secretly, and then over the few days period of the festival, he begins to kind of expose himself more publicly. This one, he actually is shouting, and it's a part of the festival where it's all about water. There's this ritual procession where a priest has water that's poured into a special a special place in Jerusalem indicating the refreshing and, the, and how God provides. So Jesus is capturing the moment, and it says he stands up in a loud voice. He says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. And some people say, well, he must be the Messiah. And again, the story continues, but he can't be. So in this few-day period already, we've seen where Jesus does things, and people are yes, no, all kinds of questions, all kinds of confusion, because we can't figure Jesus out sometimes. And then the last part here, um, the soldiers were supposed to arrest Jesus, and the Pharisees had sent them to arrest them, the Pharisees being the religious leaders. And they say to him, why didn't you bring him in? And the soldiers like, we have never heard anyone speak like this. We've never seen this movie before. We've never heard this soundtrack. We've never understood our religious lives with the, with the way he's talking. He's intriguing us. Because we had thought life with God was this way. He's saying something totally different, and we don't know what to make of it. And the Pharisees, because they were entrenched in their version of their religious story, have you been led astray too? And they actually say, leave it on this slide, but they actually say, there's not one of the Pharisees, not one of us who are religious people, believe him. And then Nicodemus, you remember, who showed up seven chapters earlier, who was a Pharisee, teacher of the law, he stands up and says, wait, we can't, we can't convict him without a trial. So you see this uh, interesting contrast of this is what Jesus said he was all about. But the religious people, keep in mind the Pharisees were really religious people. All right, They were the best of religious people. And the people couldn't understand because Jesus was living through a different story. And a, it was a soundtrack they never heard before. All right, Here's the question I want to ask this morning. Which soundtrack is playing for your story? Here's what I mean. Let's think about this past week. Maybe you had financial struggle, conflict with somebody. Maybe you had a fight with your wife. Uh, maybe you had some struggle at work. Maybe you have some habits you can't break. All right, think about those kind of situations. Now, let's say you're living life by story A, soundtrack A. All right, let's say you understand Christianity to be all about performance, about guilt, about behaving well. Jesus is a nice man and is a nice teacher. That's what it means to be a good Christian. I need to look good. I need to, I need to, there's a lot of do's and don'ts I have to attend to. And God really is somebody to be appeased. I don't want to get God mad at me. So if I do that again, God may get mad at me again. And sooner or later, he just may be done with me. All right? If that's the soundtrack that plays in your mind about your life, um, then you're giving in to kind of the religious soundtrack. Where, where religion, Christianity, is simply a list of do's and don'ts, some rules to follow, and Jesus is a good helper, an advisor, and a teacher, 
and he helps us figure out how to keep God from getting mad at us. Because when I had a fight with my wife this week or when I had some anxiety about money this week, it's really more about how can I just keep my life under control so I don't look bad to other people? How can I, do I really, how can I make sure I run my life well? All right. Other soundtrack is the soundtrack that Jesus came to talk about that was totally blowing people away. That's why he created so many questions. Because he came and said to people, you know, the kingdom of God is here. It's, it's among you. That was his message. from the, the kingdom of God is accessible. And they're like, we don't know what he means. But the kingdom of God is near. What he meant was you can have life with God now. And life with God is accessible to ordinary people. And Jesus was not inviting them to become moral people. He was not inviting them to vote conservative. He was not inviting them to some behavioral kind of modification program. He was inviting people into a relationship with him and to understand that you can know God in ways you've never known before. And, and it was causing them, and if we're honest, it causes us a lot of confusion and sometimes turmoil. Because Jesus loves to set challenge the status quo. All right? That's, that's the phrase I've used before, but I'll, I'm going to keep putting it out there. Jesus loves to challenge the status quo. Jesus will challenge your status quo. He'll challenge the way in which you go about living your life as a Christian. And he will challenge your status quo. He will challenge your status quo. He will challenge the patterns by which you live out your life. And maybe you need the status quo of your marriage challenged by Jesus. Maybe how you're responding to your husband or wife, Jesus needs the challenge. Because you're challenging, you're, you're living out of a wrong story. Maybe, you, maybe Jesus needs to challenge how you view your money. Maybe he needs to challenge how you view your other relationships. Maybe he needs to challenge how you view sex. Maybe he needs to challenge how you view love. But what you see is Jesus throughout the Gospels, and as his uh, pathway to his crucifixion unfolds in the Gospel of John, Jesus is always challenging the status quo. He's not just an activist. He's not just an activist who loves to kind of create havoc. He's challenging the status quo because he wants people to know God. He wants people to experience life, joy, and abundance because most people have been living lives of guilt, heaviness, and obligation. And so the question again is, what's the soundtrack of your life like this last week? And are you willing to let God, you know, now that God has iTunes, he can kind of just take out a song and put in some new songs. Are you willing to let God change how you view your own story. Are you willing to let God change that? Or are you, are you going to try to make this story work for you? That's what the Pharisees were really good at. We like this story. We are in control of this story. We have rules. We have regulations. We have obligations. And we will make this work. And we will stay the top dog because we will make this story work for us. All right? That was their kind of, we're going to make this story work. Some of you, and sometimes with me as well, we are desperately trying to make our story work. I know this can work. I know this can work because we can stay in control. But the minute we respond to the invitation of Jesus into the, into the whole different story, then we start to letting go of things and giving Jesus freedom to kind of start juggling, bumping around, shifting emptying, filling, and we are no longer in control of that. 
And if you're human like I am, we hate being out of control. All right? So maybe the challenge for you is whether or not you're willing. Are you trying to make Jesus, this would be my last question, are you trying to make Jesus fit into your story? Or are you willing to step out of your story, leave the old soundtrack behind, and step into a story that he's created, that he has built for us, and that he'll lead you to where you want to go, but you will no longer be in control? That's the question of the day. Now, let's pray. Jesus, we... um, I guess I'll say that we're amazed by you um, because uh, you had no fear. You had no fear of how people would respond to you. You had no fear of what people would do to you. And so I ask for all of us that you would expose to us all of our fears that we have, the fear of others, fear of people, fear of how people will, what will think of us if we express ourselves in some way in worship or fear of how they'll think of us if we do something different in our lives or whatever. But God, would you deal with our fears and would you continually invite us into the story of Jesus? Uh, Not the story of Christianity, not the story of morality or religion, but into the story of Jesus who um, led the way by breaking the status quo and by opening a whole new way to learn how to relate to you, God. So would we be willing to step out of our um, stories that just seem to go round and round like a gerbil wheel? And would we be willing to step over into the story of Jesus and follow him wherever he leads us? And then in doing so, become recipients of the living water that he said would be ours if we simply respond to his invitation. So whether we've been Christians for years or whether... We're still not sure if we're following Jesus or not. Would we continue to take steps uh, to follow Jesus? And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every Sunday at Exodus, we take communion. And um, go back to the, Luke, the slide up there that had the last passage, the red slide, had the last passage from, yeah. You know, Jesus, in this whole festival, one of the things he shouts, after he's kind of rattling everybody's paradigms, he shouts out, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we do communion every week. And sometimes it can feel like a religious ritual. Um, but rituals are good if there's meaning. And we always want to try to think through what, what are we doing here? We're not, just go, we're not just earning points with God. But we're coming because Jesus said, take, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And again, it's an invitation. So Jesus is inviting us to partake in his story and to leave our stories behind. So even when you come forward, here's how we do communion. We have people each of the uh, end of the aisles. They'll have the bread. You tear off a piece. They'll offer you a cup. Just dip it in. Most people eat it right there. Some people take it back to their seat. But even in the activity of you coming up, let that be God's way of kind of challenging you. Are you willing to leave behind something and take in more of the story of Jesus and become more of that soundtrack in your life. All right? So let me pray, and then the band will play a few more songs. Even while we're, when we're singing and taking communion, 
There'll be people in that side room over there that says prayer, and they're, they're over there to pray for you about anything. It could be related this morning. could be related to something else, all right? So let me pray, and then uh, we'll begin to worship and take communion. Jesus, thank you uh, for your body and your blood that you gave and shed on our behalf. Um, thank you that in doing so, you ripped open, you tore open a whole new way for us to live life, simply in, in devoted friendship with you. So as we take this cup and take this bread, would we remember the promises you gave to us, one of which, that if we're thirsty, we can come to you and drink, and that you will have the streams of living water flowing from out of us. That's the kind of people we want to be, and we're grateful for the provision and the reminder of this bread and this cup. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.